0: Now you guys know how to play tic-tac-toe with triangles. Didn't think it was possible, did you? Well, I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. Um, And we hope that you'll take the time. Melissa and I will be back at the end. We hope that you'll take the time to introduce yourself uh, so we can put a name with a face. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. Hopefully you stayed dry this weekend. Um, I know that was a challenge today more than others. Um, And I hope that you enjoyed your weekend. Melissa and I had the opportunity to celebrate her birthday on Saturday. Um, And I'm thankful for that and thankful for her and um, all the ways that she encourages me and supports me. Um, And I know that uh, she's been a huge blessing to me and that she is a blessing to you all as well. Um, You get to say that when you're the pastor. So we're going to be in James this week um, as, you know, surprising of all surprises. Uh, We're going to be in chapter four, verse 13, and then we're going to be reading through chapter five, verse six. We're jumping right over that chapter break. The end of James is kind of interesting in that it begins to get real combobulated in ways. He jumps from one thing and one topic to another. Um, and so you're going to notice over these last uh, three weeks that we fin- as we finish up James that we're kind of jumping from one uh, issue to the next. And so just kind of hang in there and um, buckle down. Um, if it seems like I'm, I'm bouncing around from item to item, that's because that's what the Scripture is doing in chapter 5 especially. Um, So you'll just have to listen closely and uh, pick up on those different things as we go along. But James has been talking primarily in the last couple chapters about heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom and the flesh and the sin nature that is inside all of us that continues to desire to drag us down versus the Holy Spirit which is trying to transform us into the image of Christ. And so James has been talking about the battle that has been raging on um between us and this week he's going to shift gears slightly and he's going to look at our desire our inward desire to plan and more than just plan but our inward desire to put our hopes and our desires into possessions so we're going to look at both of those things this morning hopefully by now you've had a chance to get to four verse 13 if you are able would you please stand so that we can honor the reading of God's word as we go through this together All right, James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and we will read through verse 6 of chapter 5. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Starting chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, And, Lord, we are thankful for the many blessings that you have given us. We're thankful for the many ways, Lord, that you have poured out your wealth and your riches upon us in ways that we often take for granted. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, as we read your word, as we look at planning, as we look at wealth and possessions, God, that our hearts would be open to your word and what it has to say about both of those things. Lord, that we would not try to hold on to something, Lord, that it's temporary, that we would not try to create safety by our own hands, but rather, Lord, that we would learn this morning to trust you, to understand and go back to that question, Lord, that we've been asking about, do we really believe that what you desire for us and for our families and for our church is what's best? Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning because we are listening. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know if you're like me or not, but I like to plan. I love it. You can ask my wife. We've been slowly, seems like forever now, painting and doing things on the house. And as we go, It's like, oh, next we should do this. Oh, next we should do that. Oh, if we would put carpet here, that would make it better. Oh, we need to tear out that part of the house and lower that and change this, and that would be really good. And my wife just kind of sits there and looks at me like, okay, great. Or we'll be driving down the road, and I'll be having studied that morning or having done something, and the Lord will have put something on my heart, and I will be thinking out loud. And I'll be like, you know what, I think we just need to go and every compassion child that's in Costa Rica, we're just going to take every dime we have and we're just going to sponsor all of them just right now. Like, let's just do it. Or we're going to, you know, give away everything we've saved for everything and we're just going to donate it all. Or, you know what, we're going to, you know, I know that we're called the Vandalia, but I think we should just, you know, maybe think about doing something, else in the community other than just pastoring. And my wife is just sitting there in the passenger seat like this. And eventually I have to say, sweetheart, we're not, really, um, not going to go down that path. I'm just thinking out loud. And she's like, okay. And she just looks nervously out the window. And so I like to plan. I like to think about what could be. I like to think about what is. I like to have a goal and see how I can get there. And I'm guessing that most of you are on some spectrum of the planning stage. Now, some of us, we kind of fly by the seat of our pants, but in in our mind, we have some sense of a goal. Others of us like to have a schedule like in ink on our hand, and it's like, okay, I've got to do this today, this today, this today, and if we don't get that done, then like everything starts to fall apart. But all of us like to plan. And I think part of the reason that we like to plan is because we have such limited perspective about what's going to happen. If we're really honest, we have no idea what's going to happen in our lives a year from now. We have no idea what it's going to look like. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next month. We have no idea what's going to happen this week. We have a plan, don't we? You have an idea of what might happen this week. Melissa's mom and dad are coming to visit us and we have planned out those three or four days down to the the moment. Like, this is what we're going to do with them. This is where we want to take them. But we have no idea what is actually going to happen. We don't control it. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. We don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. And that uncertainty boils within us and for some more than others, it causes us to feel insecure, it causes us to feel nervous, and so we begin to plan. And we begin to devise all of these things because it makes us feel like we have control. And this morning, James is going to talk a little bit about that planning, and so I just want to open that up for us this morning. The first thing that I think we need to understand as we look at this passage in James is that it's not the planning, it's the pride that causes the fall. It's not the planning, it's the pride that causes the fall. James is not railing on those that would plan just for the sake of planning. He's not saying that you shouldn't sit down and think about what's next. In fact, we see several examples of planning in Scripture. We see... Moses, God gives him a plan for the tabernacle, but he also we also see Moses' plan on how he's going to administrate and delegate. Moses' father-in-law comes. He sees that Moses is trying to judge, trying to make decisions for the entire nation of Israel. And it's not working. Moses is exhausted. Moses is tired. And his father-in-law comes, and I believe with heavenly wisdom, lays out a plan, helps Moses devise a plan of how they are going to do this so that Moses and the people can get what they need but not exhaust or burn one another out. And they lay out this plan of guys that judge hundreds and guys that judge thousands and so on so that small problems stay at a low level and big problems eventually get to Moses and he can deal with them. And God blesses that plan. We see plans of David. David, towards the end of his kingship over Israel, desires to build a temple for his God. And he begins to lay out plans. And then God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, my friend. You're not going to be the one to build this temple. It's going to be your son. But does David just throw his hands up and say, no nope, there's a triangle in my tic-tac-toe game. No. David says, okay. And he no longer desires to build, but he still goes on planning and putting out the architecture and gathering the resources that it's going to take in order for Solomon to build the temple. And Nathan never comes back and says, hey, I told you to drop this. What are you doing? Does he? But God blesses those plans, and those plans are used by Solomon to build the house of God. We see in Nehemiah, further planning. Now, Nehemiah goes to God, and he has, he prays, and we see that consistently throughout the book, but we also see a Nehemiah strategizing and finding the best way to rebuild the wall, to find the best way to find ways to protect those that are building the wall, finding best ways to lead a nation that is rebuilding itself, not just its structures. Flipping over the New Testament, we see the plans of Paul. He never sat out on a journey without some sense of where he was going. And so we see this continuation of the plan. But we see something with all of these men as they're making these plans, that they're holding the plans in an open hand. They understand that their plans lead to nothing, but they must have the Lord. They must submit to him and allow him to change anything that he would want. Paul, we see with his mission trip, maybe the best example, he has a plan that he's going to go into this part of Asia and he's going to spread the gospel there. And again and again, the Lord stops him from continuing until finally he is given a dream of the man from Macedonia who says, come to us. And Paul understands that his plan must change. And he submits to that and they leave immediately for Macedonia. And that is where our planning runs into a problem. Because what happens is we do like what these guys say. We say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such town. We're going to spend the year there and trade and make a profit. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? That sounds like common sense. We all understand that businessmen must look for new markets, they must find new ways to sell their product if they're to continue to make a profit. But James warns them there. He says, you're a mist, you're here for a little bit of time, and you're boasting, 16, as it is, you boast in arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. The The problem here is not the plan itself. It's not coming up with an idea of what you should be doing. The problem is, is when we begin to have pride and arrogance seep in to our planning and our strategizing. When we begin to think that we control the outcome if we will just plan it accordingly. I love this example. My, I've told many of you this, this story, but I have a friend who um, is a couple of years older than me in high school. He's a great guy, very brilliant man. His wife is the same. He is an accountant. He has worked for the state of Missouri doing different jobs, um, some in law enforcement. He now works for the Missouri Baptist Convention. Brilliant guy. Him and his wife got married, and they decided to postpone having kids because they had a plan. And that plan was to have an established job and to make sure that everything was in order, to have a house the way they wanted it, to have their finances the way they wanted it, to have their jobs and their career started before they had kids. And by the grace of God, that worked out pretty well. And so they got to that point where they said, okay, it's time for us to have, start having kids. Let's do this. And they go to that first ultrasound, and the doctor smiles and then smiles again and looks at them and says, congratulations, all three of them are healthy. They had triplets. My friend called me. I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'll tell you in a few years. All of his plans were shot. He's like, okay, we've got to go from like being okay in our finances and having everything set to major remodeling in the house to accommodate this, and we have to buy a minivan. And he's like, I'm not old enough to own a minivan yet. I don't want a minivan. Okay? His plans were completely outdated because things change. And no no mountain of plans or financial responsibility or safeguarding is going to protect you from when life just throws you a curveball. Things change. And for us to have the pride and the arrogance to think that we can control life, that we can dictate the way things are going to happen based on what our plans are, is foolishness. Look with me really quick at Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. As we've said many times during this sermon series, James is not pulling this out of a hat, but James is the good pastor who is taking the word He's taking the Old Testament and the teachings of Christ, and he is expanding upon them. Luke 12, we're going to look at 13 through 21. Jesus is talking to the crowd here, and while he does, someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat. Drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the thing you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. James is expanding on the teachings of Christ, and he's helping us to identify that no manner of planning can help us to gain the safety and the security that we desire. This man was rich. He had been blessed beyond measure. But rather than going to God, going to the one that blessed him with that crop, he instead says in his heart, I know what I'll do. I'll do this and this and this. And if I accomplish those things, then I am set. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can harm me. I, can, I am prepared to deal with whatever may come. If there's a famine, it doesn't matter. Look at what all I have. And God says, it means nothing. All your planning, all your possessions mean nothing. Because they can't save you. They can't save you. But we do the same thing, don't we? We look at our bank accounts and we say, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. I've got enough there that if anything happens, I can take care of it. And, folks, I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to you. We look at the possessions around us, and we think, okay, I've got a good house, I've got a good car, we're fine, we're set. I've got a good job I can provide, I'm okay. And we begin to plan and, and make plans based on those things because we think our safety and our security comes from our things and from our plans rather than understanding that that is a limited perspective, that that comes from us thinking that we can control things which we cannot. And our safety and our security only comes from the Lord. It is only He that knows all of eternity. It's only Him that has that greater perspective which provides Him with wisdom. It's only He that controls life and death. And it is in him that we must find our security and our safety, not in our planning. James ends this segment with an interesting quote or an interesting saying. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think that's an interesting way to end planning. We've been talking about planning, and then it's like, Oh yeah, by the way, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, then that's sin. It's like, okay, how does, that, how does that come together? Well, it could be that James is just kind of bouncing around, which he tends to do. But I think he wants us to see this. When we plan and we, when we set up what we want to do for tomorrow and next week and the year after, what tends to happen is that we get long-range tunnel vision. And it's like we're looking through binoculars, but we can't see to see the problems that may lie ahead, and we don't see the bear right in front of us that's getting ready to attack us. We get this long-range tunnel vision, and we forget that God has already commanded us to do certain things, and those things need to be done today. They need to be done right now. We forget that God has told us to share the gospel. And we get so long-range planning focused on whatever else is going on, on how we want to start this ministry or how we want to go on this mission trip or how we want to impact our community this way or that way. We get so wrapped up into our planning that we forget to do the very thing that we're supposed to do today. How many times has that happened to you? That you think so far ahead and then you look back at your day and you go, man, I I got so stuck in planning that I forgot to do my today list. I think James is reminding us, you have already been given quite a bit. You've already been given a full plate on what to do and what not to do. Get to it. The thing that I love about the Luke 12 parable, though, is it talks about both of our passages today. It talks about planning, but it also talks about possessions and our need to be wary of those. So I kind of want to shift gears now. James has been looking so far at planning, and planning usually has very much in common with it possessions. Usually our plans, summed up, come to the end result of how we can get more than what we have right now. And so in James chapter 5, he now focuses on the rich. Now it's important for me, to help you or to get you to see something really quick with me in chapter 5. In chapter 5, I believe that James is speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to the lost. We see that in a couple ways. One, we see it in verse 1, where he talks about them howling and the miseries that are coming upon them. We see it through different ways that he talks about judgment throughout the passage, and then in verse uh, five, we see him say, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Believers are certainly going to be held accountable for what they do. But our judgment is going to be vastly different than the judgment of unbelievers. And this language that James is using when he talks about fattening your hearts for a day of slaughter, when he talks about miseries that are going to come upon you, that is language that would lead us to believe that he's talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the rich that controlled this region at the time, and the abuses that they had taken against people lower than them. In saying that, though, I think it's important for us to heed the warnings that James gives these folks. Because for the majority, most of us, and I know that you've heard this before, but most of us fall in the camp of being very blessed when we look at the world as a whole. I know that many of us in here, meeting, making ends meet is a challenge at times. I know that many of us would not look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm rich. Because when we compare ourselves to each other, we're not. We're, we're middle class, most of us. But the reality is, is that when most of us think about our day, do you really wonder where lunch is going to come from? Are you really concerned that you're not going to get to eat or that you're not going to get to feed your children? Are you really, truly concerned that when you drink out of the tap that you're going to get a disease that you could die from? Sorry, Matthew, that wasn't a Hannibal comment. Do Are you truly concerned that if you get the flu that you could die from it? Or that if you get a cut in your leg that it may lead to amputation? For most of us, and I would probably think all of us, The answer to that question is no. We don't fear those things. But for the vast majority of the world, that is a real, those are real and present thoughts. And so it's important for us to look at this passage and understand that it's written to unbelievers, understand that in some ways this doesn't apply to us, but it is important for us to understand that these warnings are real and that they're here for a reason and that we need to heed them. So I want us to see three things very quickly. First, I want us to see there in verses 1 through 3 that possessions are temporary. This is the danger of wealth. Possessions are temporary. He talks to us in verse 2, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you. Everything that we own is temporary. It's interesting here that he talks about gold corroding because I'm sure you know gold doesn't rust the way other metals do. And yet even in the light of eternity, gold and silver are nothing. They are temporary possessions. But so often we treat our possessions like they're going to be ours forever. And living in the culture that we do, living with the temptations that we do, it is very easy for us to stop and to wonder and be tempted by the idea of possessions and holding on to them rather than to use them for what they are intended to be used for which is for the kingdom and for the glory of God second we see that wealth tempts us to hoard and cheat looking there at the end of verse 3 and the beginning of 4 you have laid up treasures in the last day behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you have which you kept back by or sorry behold the wages the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts wealth tempts us to hoard and to cheat and again this goes back to where our safety and our security comes from just like our planning I inherited the hoarding gene. Did you? Did anybody here inherit the hoarding gene? Like, I still have a basement full of junk, okay, in my mom and dad's house. And they're like, when are you going to come and get this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know, but someday I might need it. And you know what's funny is mom and dad really don't say a whole lot to that because dad has a garage full of stuff. And I'm like, dad why do you have weights for duck decoys tucked away in the corner? He's like, oh, I might use those one day. It's like, you don't duck hunt. What could you possibly use those for? And he's like, I don't know, but, you know, they're there if I need them. It's like, okay, fantastic. Why do you have a turkey decoy? I might need that someday. Dad, you don't turkey hunt. I know, but I might need it someday. Fair enough, Father. I appreciate you and I love you. Don't know why we have that. And mom is the same, okay? We have Our family has the hoarding disease. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? You're laughing because many of you do the same thing, okay? I dare you, let me in your house, into your closet, and let me see if there isn't a closet full of stuff that I'm like, why do you have this? And you're like, I don't know. Okay? I guarantee you it's there. But we do it, why? We do it. Because it provides a sense of safety and security for us, doesn't it? Because we hate to, we say, this is what I love, we hate to waste it. I agree. Waste is bad. We should take care of the things we have and we should try to make sure that they're useful. But that doesn't give you the right to keep the owner's manual from the paper cutter that you bought in 1976. Let it go. Okay? God forgives you. It's okay. But we keep it because we might need it someday. When we, get, when we have our, our possessions and we hold on to them so tightly that we won't let go because they, in them, in all those possessions, we find security and we find safety, then we have misplaced our trust and our faith. And James says, it will speak out against you in the days of the end. It causes us to be tempted to cheat. When we hold on to possessions that tightly, when we put our trust and our safety in those things, then what ends up happening is that when those things are threatened, we are tempted to be less than honest. We are tempted to cheat. We are tempted to defraud. And we usually justify it by saying, oh, it's not hurting anybody. It is hurting, it is sin. Which leads us to the last thing, is that it, becomes, it makes us inward focused. When I read verse 6 the first time, it said, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The idea that the NIV gives and the language gives is, when it says he did not resist you, he did not do something against you. This is not self-defense we're talking about. This is plain old murder. And I read that for the first time, and I thought to myself, Man, I... I've never killed a righteous person, and I'm not going to kill a righteous person. Like, that's, I don't see how this applies. And I don't really know anybody in my church. Okay, maybe I know a couple of you that I'm like, "Eh, given the right circumstance. No, I'm joking. Okay? But I was, I really struggled, and I was like, God, show me how this applies. Show me how we can take this and make it applicable. And I was reading, I was reading a commentary, and this verse is directly connected to the verses right above it, that talk about cheating a person out of it, their wages. Remember what I said, like we cheat and defraud and we say it doesn't hurt anybody? In this time, in, this, in that culture, in that society, if you were to cheat someone out of their wages, if you were to deny them what they had earned through their work, then you were in essence condemning them to death because you were holding back from them that which they needed to provide for themselves and their family. You may not take a knife and be stabbing them through the heart. You may not be taking a gun and shooting them, but you are effectively killing them by denying them that which they need in order to provide for their necessities. And as I begin to pray over that, and as I begin to struggle with that concept, God really laid on my heart that many times in a culture where we are consumed by consumerism, where we see possessions as our rights, where we are constantly wanting the new thing and we hold on to things because we find our security, that we get inward focused and we turn a blind eye to those in our community, to those in our nation, and those around the world who have genuine needs. Who are starving, who are dying of disease that could be prevented, who are drinking water that is literally killing them. And when we turn a blind eye to those things, when we choose not to be involved in those things, then we effectively are pronouncing judgment and death upon them. That's a heavy word one that i've struggled with this week but when we get inwardly focused when we begin to care about our own possessions our own safety and our own security then we become ignorant and blind to the things that are happening around us then we are causing great harm and we will be held accountable i want you to look with me really quick just to drive this home turn over to matthew 25 We'll finish with this. Matthew 25, verse 31. We have a picture of Judgment Day. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him He will be gathered, all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And He will say to the sheep on His right, or He will place the sheep on His right, And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And then verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you? And he will say, and then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And all And these will go away into eternal punishment, but righteous into eternal life we cannot turn a blind eye to those that are in need we used to talk about in madagascar one of the one of the issues that always came up with new missionaries was what do we do with beggars and my response as i longer i live there my response was this i don't know what god's calling you to do for the beggar i don't know what god's calling you to do for the one in poverty i don't know what god's calling for you to do for the sick or the one in prison, but I know this, he's not calling you to do nothing. You can't turn a blind eye to what's happening in our community, you can't turn a blind eye to what's happening in our country, and you can't continue to turn a blind eye to what's happening in our world. If you are a believer, then you have the heart of Christ, and you care for humanity, you care for people. Primarily, we desire for them to see the cross and for them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But we must not, in doing so, ignore physical needs. So I don't know what God's calling you to today. I don't know what God's sharing with you, and we're going to skip the last slide. I don't know what God's sharing with you today about your planning. I don't know what he's shared with you today about your possessions. I don't know what he's talking to you about where you place your safety and security. I don't know what he's talking to you about how you deal with your possessions or how you deal with your wealth or how you see those in need. But I know this. He's not calling you to do nothing. He's not calling you to remain the same. I'm not trying to guilt you. I know many of you are actively involved in many things, and you do care, and for that, I commend you, and I pray that the Lord blesses you for that. But for many of us, we have turned a blind eye. We've allowed our planning to get us into long-range mode, and we haven't seen what God has given us right around us. So I'm going to ask the praise band to come up. We're just going to have a time of response. I don't know what you and God need to settle. We've talked a lot about a lot of different issues today. But you need to go to him and just lay it all out and allow him to lay it all out for you. Maybe that means coming and just you and him at the altar. Maybe it means you need to grab a brother or sister or allowing a brother and sister to come to you in prayer. I hope that you'll come up and do that. Maybe it means that you need to sit silently and just meditate for a moment on the word maybe it means you need to make a commitment this morning i don't know what it is but don't waste this time let me pray and then we will we will worship and respond together father i just come before you and i thank you i thank you for your word lord it is life to us lord it is what we need to be sustained lord sometimes it's hard And sometimes as we read it, Lord, we cringe, and sometimes it cuts us deep. But, Lord, we know that it is good for us and that it is life to us. Father, I pray this morning for us as a church. God, there are wonderful people here, and you have blessed us with above and beyond what we could imagine. Lord, you have put us in the place that you have for a reason. Lord, what do you want us to do? What would you have us to do? Our plans are in our hands, and they are open to you. Change them however you want. Put us where you need us to be. Let us use those blessings and those resources for your kingdom. Lord, help us to respond this morning. pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. You come, you respond this morning.